like anything, it's the pendulum. Mm -hmm. The more profound of a pathology you have that's more related to mass overaccumulation, atherosclerosis, cancer, metabolic disease, the longer you want to fast fast. The more you're trying to just tighten your biochemistry and live longer and be stronger, the shorter the periods of fasting and then go back and forth. Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. Welcome to the Body, Mind, Empowerment Podcast. I'm your host, Seamland, and our guest today is Dr. Christopher Shade. Dr. Shade has a PhD in environmental mercury chemistry, and he's a renowned expert on mercury, heavy metals, and human detoxification systems. Dr. Shade, welcome to the show. Good to be here, Sam. Can you give us a brief background story about uh, how did you get your PhD and uh, what did you learn? Uh, yeah, you, you, know, you almost have to go even back farther. I, uh, I was raised an academic, and, and then I got into college, and I uh, got disillusioned with sort of how science was set up. And uh, I had a lot of, say, mind-expanding experiences, and I left traditional science, and I went into organic farming. I was really obsessed with uh, – with sustainable agriculture. I did biodynamics and organic stuff. And uh, then I joked that I went out of business the year Whole Foods came around <laughs> as I was a little, little too early and uh, went back to school and, and got a PhD uh, around environmental chemistry of agriculture, like agricultural pollution. And then I went for my PhD and I found it kind of boring what the guys are doing in Illinois, uh, just monitoring nitrate levels and streams and not really saying anything about it and uh, I met this guy named Bob Hudson who was this uh, he was a genius level guy at modeling metals moving through the environment and his specialty was mercury and he said hey can you uh, start a lab and uh, can you develop me a new system for mercury speciation which is an analysis which separates all these forms of mercury and I'm like of course, no problem. Uh, you know, I didn't know how to do it, but I was really good with analytical chemistry and equipment. And so I took on the challenge and uh, begged, borrowed, and stole old equipment, old equipment from older professors and uh, developed out and then patented this system for separating different forms of mercury. And when we get into talking about mercury in the body, we'll see that there's one main form coming off of our dental amalgams and a different form that we get from eating fish. Those are our two main sources. And all the analytical systems before just pulled them all together as one thing. And when you look at mercury in the blood versus urine versus the hair, they're all specific forms and nobody can make really good sense out of everything. And so you need to be able to separate the forms and, and, and analyze them. In environmental chemistry, you need, the reason you needed to separate them is because you're looking at mercury raining down into the environment in one form and then transforming into another this is, so it comes down as this inorganic form of mercury, transforms into this organic form named, called methylmercury, and then it multiplies up the food chain. That's called bioaccumulation. So you have these fish, and they're 10,000 times more mercury or a million. No, yeah, it's like a million times more mercury in the fish than in the water. So we had to separate this little amount of methylmercury uh, in water and soil from this big amount of inorganic and see it move up the food chain little different in the body you're trying to separate a larger amount of methyl mercury from a smaller amount of inorganic mercury and seeing where it goes in the body so 
I patented that in grad school and started my company based on commercializing that testing. And that was, that was what got me into uh, testing in people and then developing detox systems to get the body to get rid of the mercury. Hmm. Well, yeah, that's a quite interesting story. Uh, but yeah, before we get into like the actual uh, details of mercury detox, etc., like um, I want I want to cover some of the basics as well for the listeners. So, like you hear a lot of talk about doing these li- different liver detoxes and uh, juice cleanses, etc. Like, uh, is it like <laughs> is it just a fad, or is there actually some science behind it? Can you like talk about what's the basic principles of uh, like liver detox, etc.? Yeah, I mean, it, detoxification is one of the fundamental requisites for proper health. And uh, I like to teach it on a microcosm, macrocosm, I say. So a cellular level and then a systemic level of detoxification. And so the cellular level is getting the cells and the aggregated cells being the tissues to push the toxins out into the blood. And then the macrocosmic or filtration level, a system-wide detoxification, is the filters that clean the blood and the lymph. And that would be the liver, the kidneys, and the GI. So most detoxification is focusing on GI and liver and trying to clear that up. And there is reality to those systems. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, we're the only group that's really systematizing this and saying which things that are called detoxification are working on which parts of the body. So when you get to the liver, the fundamental thing you have to establish is directionality. And if you establish this in the liver, even if you just do that, everything starts to organize itself around that. And that directionality is the movement from the, of toxins from the blood being drawn into the liver cells and then dumped into the bile that's draining all the liver cells. And so bile we know as an emulsifier for dietary fats, but it's also the waste stream. The bile tree is the toxin waste stream. So every single liver cell called a hepatocyte is fed on one side by blood, feeding things into the cell and drained on the other side by the bile canaliculus, which are little rootlets of the bile tree. So picture the bile tree, like flip a tree upside down and roots growing up into the liver and draining every single one of the cells with this green fluid called bile. Mm. And the transporters that move bile and the transporters that move toxins are like brothers, they're like twins. And they're co-regulated, they're co-located, they go up and they go down together. So if you're not moving bile, you're not moving toxins out. So the fundamental job is to get the movement of bile and toxins harmonized together and getting that flow going out of the liver. Because if you don't do that, and you take things that turn up detoxification on a cellular level, Mm. when we get to that, that's phases, they're different chemical phases of processing a toxin and dumping them out of the cell. Mm. So if you take things that wind that up, and they start kicking toxins out of the tissues into the blood, but the liver's not able to process them through into the bile, they start accumulating in the liver, and then the liver dumps them back into the blood. Mm-hmm. It can't go the right way, and so it dumps them back into the blood, and that is where every symptom of bad detoxification comes from. Mm. 
Because mm. when they dump back into the blood, where are they going to go? They're going to go to the kidneys. The kidneys should be able to pick up the slack for a little while. But then those same elements that were blocking the liver block the kidneys. So you'll get lower back pain and stress in the back. And then they'll start coming up through the skin. You'll get itchiness. Then you get rashes. They'll go up to the brain because it's an inflamed system that's blocking all these pathways. That's also opening up the blood-brain barrier. This stuff's going into the brain, winding up neuroinflammation, which winds up anxiety and brain fog. And any tissue that's already inflamed a little bit will attract more of these toxins because mm. as we get into it we're going to see that inflammation is the enemy of detoxification because inflammation turns down detoxification because inflammation uses pro-oxidant measures it's making peroxides hyperchlorous acids to kill things like it's, it's responding to perceived invaders and detoxification is an antioxidant activity so when inflammation winds up, you turn down detoxification. Mm -hmm. And so uh, wherever there's inflammation, it's accumulating toxins. So we mm -hmm. see this block in the liver. If we try to detox when we haven't opened up the liver, we just recirculate everything, stir up the pot and make more trouble. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like uh, maybe put it simply, it would be that, you know, it's inevitable that the modern world exposes us to these different, you know, toxins and pollutants. And if people go on like this, you know, if they try to detox themselves too quickly, so to say, then the liver can't keep up with that. And there are certain phases of liver detox that the, the liver has to go through in order to process those toxins. And if you do it too rapidly, or if the liver is like not sufficient in detoxification, then you're just going to reabsorb those same toxins. And that's going to cause a lot of these detox symptoms that people have, like nausea and more inflammation and, you know, chronic back pain, etc. So maybe can you can you also give a like a overview of like the liver detox pathways? Yeah. So uh, the liver on one side, on the blood side, has transporters that that take the both conjugated and unconjugated toxins. Conjugated means it's gone through the somewhere else in the body. It's gone through these phases of detox, and where you stick one of your biomolecules under the toxin, that's called a conjugated toxin unconjugated or raw toxins either coming from inhalation or from the GI. So the liver has got transporters to pull these into the liver cell. And then it goes, if it needs to, it goes through those phases of detox, which is conjugation in the liver. And then it's going to transport them into the bile. So that's when everything's going well. So the key here is what blocks all that. And that can be blocked by inflammation. And the most common source of inflammation that's blocking those transporters into the bile is endotoxin. Mm. And you're familiar with what endotoxin or lipopolysaccharides are. These are little parts of gram-negative bacteria. And when they get into circulation, your body perceives them as whole bacteria. So your body perceives that there's an infection, a systemic infection, and your immune system winds up very potent pro-inflammatory chemistry to try to kill this blood-borne infection. This is very, very dangerous. And that inflammation is blocking all kinds of things, including blocking that movement uh, from the hepatocyte into the bile. Now, so endotoxin can block that. Also, hormone imbalances can block that. Estrogen dominance blocks that. In fact, that's why there's cholestasis of pregnancy during the mm. spike of estrogen relative to progesterone. Progesterone and estrogen are yin-yang pair. 
During that spike, you block that movement of bile, create cholestasis. If you have low choline in the in the blood, uh, you can like a low protein diet. You'll have you can have you can have cholestasis. But just sympathetic uh, autonomic. In, well, if you're sympathetic dominant, that means when you're stressed. If you're stressed, you block that movement uh, from the liver into the bile. And this is really important. Let's, let's look at what that means to be stressed and what sympathetic means. So in the autonomic nervous system, and you probably lecture on your podcast about autonomic balance, true? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So trying to get parasympathetics up relative to sympathetic. So sympathetic is fight or flight. Parasympathetic is rest, digest, repair, regenerate, detoxify. All the house cleaning and regenerative capacity is part of parasympathetic. Sympathetic, you prioritize your energy into fight or flight. And whenever you're on it or sympathetic, that's what you're doing. Now, in the brain, this corresponds to a neurotransmitter power. Glutamate is your sympathetic dominant one. And GABA is your parasympathetic dominant one. Now, 80% of neurotransmission is a yin-yang between these two pairs, and you're supposed to swing back and forth like sympathetic, be on it, parasympathetic, calm down. Mm -hmm. that, that book, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers, is about you know, zebras having to deal with lions coming out of the woods at them. They go fight or flight. They run. All their energy is put into that. Then the lion's gone, and they live through the whole thing. If they live through it, then they sit down, they chill out, and everything goes <laughs> back. And they, but we don't do this. We shift yeah. over. We get stuck in our sympathetic. We perceive our, our partners, our bosses, our friends, the cops. Everything is sympathetic. Everything is, ah, we're afraid yeah. all the time. That's why we have to go through these breathing exercises, heart rate variability. We have to harness things, our ability to relax into our life and shift into parasympathetic. So we heard a lot of different reasons that, of why that's important. But here in detoxification, when you're sympathetic balance, you lock that. Hmm. The hormone analogy to this, estrogen creates glutamate dominance, which locks you into sympathetic. That's why it creates irritability. Progesterone creates GABA dominance. That's why GABA, I mean, progesterone chills you out. And progesterone is great for opening up liver paths. Mm. All right. So there's this opening up of the liver paths. There's the stress aspect of it. And then there's what we put into our body, how that affects that. And the best way to increase, there's two things we use dominantly to increase bile flow. One is traditional bitter compounds. So mm -hmm. You know, you're in Europe, that's your Swedish or German bitters. Uh, these are compounds like gentian and dandelion, uh, cassia. In Ayurveda, they use myrrh. We use a lot of that. Bitter activation of the bitter receptors uh, stimulates a vagal nerve response, which opens up the gallbladder, but it works internally on bitter receptors, and those actually turn up those, uh, those toxin and bile transporters. The other main one is phosphatidylcholine. Phosphatidylcholine is a part of bile flow that fluidizes, thins the bile. A lot of people, when you do an ultrasound on them, they see they have this sludgy, thick, slow-moving bile that leads to gallstones and then loss of the gallbladder. Uh, so PC is part of fluidizing that. And that can either, you can make your own PC by having a lot of choline, or you can take PC in directly. All of our delivery systems with liposomes use phosphatidylcholine. That's PC. 
or you can take oral PC or mycelized PC like we do separately, or they used to be injectable PC. All these lead to better liver function through this fluidization of the bile. So those are the core things to keeping that going physically while keeping the balance between sympathetic and parasympathetic is the key to opening that up. Yeah, it's so it's so funny how like uh, in the modern world we are kind of exposed or we suffer primarily from like chronic stress and that just leads to like stagnation in the body and like you mentioned your your bile starts to become sluggish and the same applies to even the digestion like most people who are constipated or they are suffering from bloating it's because of like things like stress and inflammation so using these like bitters etc and getting the liver working properly again that's like a key aspect to actually overcoming that stress because if you are actually you know in that stress then it's very hard to kind of break those uh, chains because you're stuck in it. (laughs) Stress creates wrong directionality. Your Mm -hmm. barriers that are supposed to be keeping, like the GI barrier, supposed to be keeping things moving through, not melting into absorption. Only right Right. things are supposed to be absorbed. So stress breaks down your GI barrier. Stress breaks down your blood-brain barrier. Stress even breaks down tight junction integrity in the liver you know there's actually leaky liver and that's all from stress while at the same time stress is blocking the correct flow so those movements through the liver and out so stress just puts up barriers to all that and opens up the wrong barriers because it's supposed to be temporary and Mm. when you calm down everything tightens up and the flow starts again so we control our stress and take those things like the bitters and pc but Part of that directionality is when the toxins dump into the GI that they're caught and not reabsorbed. So wrong directionality, once it gets down to the GI, is to reabsorb. So methylmercury from fish, 95% reuptake. Cadmium, reuptake. Mold toxins, uh, biofilm toxins, toxic algal boom toxins, those reabsorb. So when we get the bile to flow, coming in after the the cholagogs, which are bioflow things, with uh, broad-spectrum binders like charcoal, zeolites, chitazan, different gums, and we make a special metal binding binder called IMD, which is like putting chelators onto a little sand grain. So Mm -hmm. catching everything when it gets to to the GI tract. And furthermore, what that does is uh, pick up toxins that are generated through dysbiosis and it binds endotoxin in the GI. So in that beginning of starting to repair, getting the liver going, a lot of times you have leaky gut because the bile also feeds, it's a food source to the upper GI that brings glutathione into the upper GI and brings antimicrobials into the upper GI. So when you first start with opening up the bile flow, you're likely to have SIBO and overgrowth in the upper GI and a lot of toxins up there. And so the binders not only catch the toxins that come with the bile, but they catch the toxins that are generated in the GI tract. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned like a few of these different uh, toxins, so to say, like mercury, uh, molds, and these other heavy metals. Like, is there, is there, should, should the approach be somewhat different for these different uh, compounds, or does the detoxification system is almost like a universal, uh, you know, like a defense mechanism, or how does that work? Yeah, there is both uh, specificity and universality. I lean towards universality uh, in our detox systems, like our push catch liver detox. That is very universal. 
And mm-hmm. I think it's best to start with universality and afterward go in. If you still have some particular ones, you can focus on those particulars. Because, you know, when you look at the whole detox system, you've got these phases, phase one, phase two, phase three. And every toxin is going to fit into having some phase one activity. And there's dozens of those. And then phase two, there's only three relevant phase two reactions and phase three are the transport. So phase two is conjugation. Mm -hmm. Phase three is transport. There's only one set of transporters. So working up the stream, you're really working, activating a universal funnel to bring all this stuff out. So you need a universal binding system at the GI level. And that's Mm -hmm. where you should start. And then you can move and say you have specific metal uh, toxicities, you can go into focusing on them. And all that means is you're going to take part of this core system and you're going to amplify that. Or maybe you're going to have some add-ons. If you have lead, you have some liposomal EDTA to focus on the lead. If you have mercury, you're going to amp up the glutathione and the liposomal glutathione. But this core system of supporting these phases and this directionality, that's always going to be in there. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that's that. universal. Yeah, you mentioned the glutathione. Uh, can you like explain what is that for the listeners as well? Yeah, so uh, maybe I should run through again those those phases of detox. And this goes back more to a cellular level. And this could be happening in the liver at a cellular level or in the rest of the body. But say you're a thyroid cell and you've had some mercury get in there and thyroid's a, uh, mercury's a known thyrotoxin. And inside the cell, you've got mercury in there. You've got to bind something of yours to it, in this case, glutathione. And that's going to make a glutathione mercury conjugate that's then going to be shipped out of the cell into the blood, pulled from the blood to the liver, dumped from the liver to the bile, get into the GI, right? Mm -hmm. So in the cell, there's phase one, phase two, phase three. Now, metals don't need phase one. They only go phase two, phase three. Mm -hmm. Phase one is for compounds that aren't reactive enough to move into phase two. So phase two, you're going to link two things together. That means you have a reactive site on the toxin that's going to link onto the sulfur on the glutathione or onto one of the other phase two conjugates. So phase one has multiple different cytochromes in the cytochrome P450 system that will act on it. Think about plastic. A plastic is not really reactive. A plastic sits on hormone sites and is an endocrine disruptor. We have an end, we have an epidemic of endocrine disruption right now. And when we talk about fasting and detox, that's when we're going to talk about mobilizing fat-soluble toxins. And the endocrine disruptors are all fat-soluble toxins. Mm-hmm. So fat-soluble toxins aren't really free radical generators. They're hormone dysregulators. So you have to like snap into one and create a reactive site on it. And that's phase one. And when you do that, you're making a very reactive intermediate. So it's important that phase two, the transferase system, these are conjugations. So if it's glutathione reactive, you'll have glutathione S transferase in phase two, link glutathione onto it. If it's a different chemical and it wants a different chemistry to react with, like an oxygen chemistry, you'll have glucuronic acid. That's the second of your phase two reactions. And you'll clip glucuronic acid onto it. So if you're processing a hormone like estrogen, you're going to clip glucuronic acid onto it. Or if you like this other chemistry, the toxin's more responsive to this other chemistry, you have a sulfate reaction. You clip a sulfate onto it. Mm-hmm. Either of those, any of those three uh, phase two reactions, create this conjugate 
that's now recognizable in phase three. Phase three are transmembrane active transporters that use ATP and magnesium. This is one of the reasons magnesium is so important for detox. The other is that magnesium stimulates parasympathetic activity, mm, yeah. calms you down, right? We need both energy, magnesium, and, and calming all together. So magnesium is good for that. So phase three dumps it outside of the cell. And then phase three picks up at the liver or the kidneys, pulling it from the blood into the liver cell or the kidney cell. Phase three terminates with that dumping into the bile or dumping into the urine. Hmm. And those transporters are the same at the kidney and the liver, but the liver holds the lion's share of the detoxification. Hmm. So from cell out into the blood, then into the filtration. So glutathione hmm. is necessary for all the heavy metals. That's the conjugation uh, reaction that's necessary for mercury cadmium and arsenic mm -hmm. very important for them it's also important for a number of the mycotoxins they haven't identified exactly which ones but most of the mycotoxins conjugate the glutathione and in the list of thousands of pesticides herbicides mm -hmm. and volatiles a lot of them use glutathione and then in the halogenated hydrocarbons this would be uh, PCBs and DDT and mm. flame retardants, those all use glutathione too. So glutathione is a very important thing to conjugate and move things out. But in the cell, it's also your main antioxidant dealing with free radical chemistry. It works with superoxide dismutase to handle that. But uh, glutathione has a bunch of enzymes ar around free radical chemistry. And then it's an essential part of immune balance. Mm -hmm. When glutathione goes low, your immune system has a sort of psychosis where it starts to ignore the things it's supposed to kill. Mm -hmm. Those are called TH1 reactions where it's attacking viruses and bacteria, and that goes down. And instead, TH2 goes up, and TH2 is associated with hypersensitivities and allergies. So you start rejecting foods so you reject those which are supposed to nurture you and you ignore the pathogens coming in psychologically well mercury drives down glutathione levels and this you see in mercury toxicosis you'll see it in, in cadmium and arsenic too but especially in mercury you get this uh paranoid delusion going on and and you start rejecting the things that nurture you and bringing in the things that make you more psychotic unfortunately and there's a closing off from your system around you part of the detoxification is releasing this contraction and integrating more into your system and stopping this rejection this uh fear and hope paranoia thing that's going on and, and right. mercury really fills that yeah, yeah. Uh, are there like any other symptoms people can look out for when it comes to like mercury toxicity the simplest two to look for are anxiety and and fatigue uh so anxiety mercury remember the sympathetic parasympathetic is glutamate gaba glutamate receptors start certain toxins act on the receptor and make it hyper fire it doesn't necessarily make you make more glutamate but a little bit of glutamate starts going too far and the glutamate receptors get hyperactive and mercury is one of the toxins that do that and when the glutamate receptors get hyperactive glutamate is a, remember the lion coming out and the glutamate yeah. gets activated the sympathetic yeah. gets out of it memory what, what makes us smart is what makes us crazy <laughs> what makes us smart is a lot of glutamate right yeah. and then we can memorize a lot of things but mm. that was so you could memorize what was going to kill you and stay away from it mm. 
And so when it hyperfires, you start getting the fear response because memory and fear uh, it go go together. And that's why, you know, professors, the nutty professor thing is you get older, you get a little crazy and you get paranoid. I know my dad was a paranoid professor, you know, and, and I tend towards paranoia too. And so I try to breathe through that. And so anxiety is this fear response starting to wind up. And so when you start getting anxious a lot and you're just anxious all the time and you can't get stuff done mercury is really good at doing that and if you also have fatigue and then that the fatigue is coming from the damage of mercury to the mitochondria and the damage of the mitochondria the damage from the mercury to the thyroid functioning and there it's the block mostly it's the block of t4 to t3 that's what's winding up metabolism and giving you energy and making you burn things it blocks that and it slowly wears down your adrenals because you're using your adrenals to compensate for this uh, lack of fundamental energy. So anxiety and fatigue, there's other things, you know, when it gets much more intense, uh, you can start, especially if you have amalgams, you'll get a lot of uh, metallic taste constantly mm. in your mouth. You could get narrowing of the visual field, tremors. Those are more advanced ones. Mm. Uh, but it starts with the anxiety and fatigue. So it's like almost like overthinking also may be a sign because you're like unable mm -hmm. to let go of the stress and you're kind of, you know, constantly ruminating about some things that cause you anxiety and uh, trauma. Bingo. And that can lead to a little bit of genius. And, you know, uh, Dietrich Klinghardt likes to, you know, lecture about, you know, guys like, like Mozart and Newton mm -hmm. who were, were known to be mercury poisoned. Uh, a lot of the alchemists oh, used really? to... Yeah, they would do these distillations of uh, they'd bind mercury with gold and then distill off the mercury and keep, you mm. know, rebinding it, redistilling it, and they would have all this uh, mercury exposure. And there, there's a little bit of paranoid genius that goes on in there, but it's, it's, not, it's not really the way you want to get to genius. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. But, but you hit it. It's that ruminating. It's that not right. letting go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but are there like any specific tests people can also take to uh, look out for? Well, so our testing called the Mercury Tri Test is the way that we look at mercury. We look at it in blood, hair, and urine. Your two different exposures are fish and amalgam. Amalgam is bringing this metallic phase called inorganic mercury. Fish is bringing uh, organic phase called methylmercury. And uh, those will both be present in your blood, but urine only has inorganic mercury and hair only has methylmercury. So the blood is, when we separate the two and analyze it, shows you this is a representation of your body burden of the two forms. Mm -hmm. And then hair and urine are excretion measures. So there's this functional aspect. And what you'll see, especially the best one is the urine to blood ratio for inorganic mercury. Let's see high levels in the blood, low levels in the urine, the sign of damage to that transport system, the one that pulls from the blood into the kidney and then pushes into the urine. When that's damaged, you'll see low amount in the urine, high amount in the blood, filtration systems blocked. Hmm. It'd be great if we could measure that in the liver, but we'd have to take a bile measurement. Uh, and we do the hair to blood because that goes, that form, the methylmercury goes to the liver, but it's not so direct as the urine to blood measurement. And the way that the kidneys really get knocked off the most is a mixture of endotoxin and mercury. So when we see the urine to blood ratio is down, 
it does tell us that there's an endotoxin source, and that's usually GI. But mm -hmm. endotoxin, your most notable source is GI, but you got to look at all your chronic infection sources, right. sinus sources, the, the dental sources that are often missed. There's this movement into biohacking. They have to know uh, that cavitations, which are necrotic or dead spots in your jawbone where usually where wisdom teeth have been pulled out they left a little uh ligament tip called the periodontal ligament in and it rots over time if, oh. if your body wasn't healthy enough when you took that out i just had mine uh, about a two years ago i had mine all cleaned up that really helped mm -hmm. or where you have root canals you have chronic infections under the root canal it's impossible to sterilize the root canal others are sinus infections uh, uh, UTI infections uh, or chronic biofilm infections uh, in the blood. All those uh, put out endotoxin and those wind up these inflammatory processes. Mm, that's uh, really interesting. But, but what about things uh, like fasting? Uh, that's, that's also said to be like a detox strategy, but uh, would it be like the optimal way of going about it? Well, fasting is really good. And so what we, you know, remember all the lessons from, you know, bioflow, cellular levels, and just to finish the cellular, the way you upregulate cellular levels of detox is a target called NRF2, which I'm sure you're familiar with, but if your readers don't know, NRF2 is uh, a protein in the, in the cytoplasm of a cell, and when it's activated, it goes into the nucleus and turns up all the genes for this chemoprevention, all this detoxification chemistry. And certain things activate that uh, polyphenolic antioxidants do, most notably sulfur-based what we think of as antioxidants are actually some of them are pro-oxidants. Mm. Lipoic acid and sulforaphanes are the most notable ones for NRF2 activation. But so is different. Uh, that's really a free radical sensor. And so are different oxidative chemistries like uh, ozone therapies will also do that. So just remember lipoic acid really for upregulating NRF2. And so if we get liver function going, Binders on board and then NRF2 upregulation, we have all that working for us. But now, what happens in fasting? Fasting is so, so crucial. Because fasting, remember I said there's this leakiness that happens, you get mm. GI mm. leakiness, you get blood brain barrier leakiness, you get liver leakiness, mm -hmm. and you get to this fasting fed state uh, balance. Fed state is anabolism. It's building mass constantly, laying down mass, laying down mm -hmm. protein, turning extra calories into fat, laying down layers of fat so you can use that later when you're fasted. So fasted <laughs> is catabolism. Fasted is breaking things down and activating something called AMPK, the AMP kinase, which in turn then blocks the synthesis of fat and turns up the burning of fat, mm. blocks the laying down of protein and turns up autophagy, which is mm. the inner eating and the breaking down of bad proteinaceous structures like well, those are actually lipid structures, mitochondria, endoplasmic reticulum, bad cells. So the autophagy, I'm sure you've talked a lot about that. The reason I know you is because you were the only one who put out the dark 
the dark side of autophagy and I'm scanning through <laughs> yeah. what am I going to listen to before my autophagy lecture? I'm like, anybody who says the dark side is someone I want to listen to. <laughs> and I'm like, this guy is freaking smart. And then I saw you. I'm like, are you the guy? <laughs> uh, so that's how we got here. Yeah. Uh, but the light side of autophagy is the inward dimension of detoxification. So say a toxin is destroying your mitochondria and we can magically pick out all the toxins. What are you left with? A cell with destroyed mitochondria. We have to go and activate this, uh, uh, in this case, mitophagy to digest the bad mitochondria. And on the flip side of that is mitochondrial biogenesis, activating the rebuilding of new ones. Mm -hmm. So this AMPK kinase AMP is what builds up when you're fasted. This is ATP, is your cellular energy with the three high phosphate bonds. Then you use up one of those, you get to ADP. Use up another, you're AMP. Mm -hmm. AMP buildup sticks into this AMP kinase in one space and upregulates that about 10x. Mm -hmm. And then if you have other activators, you phosphorylate this threonine 172 it's another hundredfold activation of ampk and that's when you have all of this fat burning autophagy and one of the beautiful things in ampk upregulation is restoring tight junction uh function and that's mm -hmm. tight junctions in the gi tract it's tight junctions uh, i haven't seen the data but i'm sure it's at the blood brain barrier and it's also in the liver the thing that fixes itself most notably during all this is repairing the liver and pairing, uh, repairing fatty, uh, fatty liver, non-alcoholic and alcoholic fatty liver. There's from this constant driving mTOR forward, driving on mass, you get fatty accumulations in the liver, which wind up inflammatory processes in the liver, which are breaking down cell cell junction integrity and blocking canalicular trafficking. Mm. Sounds like drug trafficking. I was arrested in London for canalicular yeah. trafficking. They didn't like me bringing bitters to the Londoners. <laughs> so canalicular trafficking is all that movement, and AMPK really restores the structure of the liver and burns off all those fatty liver accumulations. In fact, when we use this application of right directionality and AMPK activators, there was a guy in Houston doing cases of fatty liver. He had 100 fatty liver cases. He did detox the way we do it with both that uh, bioflow binders and AMPK act activation. He, he solved 82% of the fatty liver cases in one to two months with that. Wow. Really, really fast. Yeah. And yeah, he had done ultrasounds. He did blood markers. It just cleaned everything up. So AMPK, I didn't even know it until I got into doing all this stuff with the fasting and the keto that half the things I was using in my detox protocol were AMPK activators. Mm. I, you know, I was using a lot of them as inflammation control like mast cell stabilizers, quercetin, luteolin, DIM. But those are also strong AMPK activators. Alpha lipoic acid or R lipoic acid, NRF2 upregulator, also a strong AMPK activator. And a lot of those hit this like supercharge to the AMPK, this threonine uh, 172 phosphorylation. So if you make a nutraceutical to activate this, you have to hit it at the AMP level and the phosphorylation level. And that's how that keto before six, you probably got some of that. That'll take uh, you know, a keto virgin into ketosis in an hour and a half. Mm -hmm.
So harmony, bringing together all these liver pathways with the fasting and nutraceutical AMPK activators, because it's only going to work when you're at least in this intermittent fasting state. You get so much done so quickly, and you don't have these backward movements. In fact, mm -hmm. what's keto flu? Keto flu is mobilization of fat-soluble toxins into a system that the liver has not been optimized to handle it, and the binders aren't there on board. You mm -hmm. take anyone with keto flu, and you give them a good binder, gone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would, yeah, presume that that's a lot of the cases, so to say, because like when you are burning fat, then you're actually kind of mobilizing all of those toxins that are stored in your adipose tissue. And, you know, with, with keto and with exercise and with fasting, you're kind of releasing them into their stream. And if you don't have anything to bind them to, then, yeah, you're going to run into some trouble, so to say. And that's, that's where people kind of hit the wall most of the time. Exactly. When, when we had all these, you know, they, they were naive to keto. We had them do keto before six. We're, in that system, we have you keto all day, taking these nutraceuticals, making ketones all day. And at night, you can uh, do carbs again. And a couple of them, you know, hadn't done all, you know, some had done our detox protocols. And a couple of them hadn't. They got into this keto flu within, you know, four or five days. And we just added the binders on and there was no problems after mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. uh, and people get, you know, when you see, you know, people say, oh, keto flu, all right, it's hydration, it's minerals, and they'll drink a lot of water, which helps flush toxins, that helps, they'll take a lot of salt. Well, guess what salt does? We, you know, from our, we've been doing detox protocols since about 2009, and when people would be detoxing too fast, you give them a high salt dose. And what it does, high salt flips you sympathetic and it seals up your membrane so you stop dumping so many toxins hmm. that's part of that it wasn't just remineralization right. uh you know that is one aspect of it but it's also stopping this flow of toxins so hmm. getting the binder on board is what really harmonizes that part of when all these toxins are coming out so like taking more salt would actually just fix the symptoms which is keto flu but it doesn't fix the root cause which is the toxins that can yeah. still get stuck in your exactly. system exactly now yeah. you are going to need more toxins as you as you flush all this glycogen and the water and the mineral balance but distribute them slowly when you take a high salt dose you you stop the detox. Now, if you need to do that, like you detox it too hard and you've got to go into a meeting, hit a high salt dose and you can put on the brakes then. But if you're ideally you're gonna you're gonna facilitate these toxins flowing out, you'll have some bitters, some binders, you'll distribute your minerals through the day, and that'll keep everything flowing out. But the high salt dose puts the brakes on the symptom for a little mm -hmm. bit. So you mentioned uh, the keto six. Uh, I think uh, I, I also tried it out and it's definitely like tastes it, it stimulates uh, those same kind of taste receptors as bitter receptors. Bitters. yeah yep. exactly and uh, I do feel noticeable let's say improved like yeah I, I, I would say it's, I feel like my liver is working more properly and and such so can you explain how does it work and uh, what's the ingredients yeah, so we stacked together a bunch of different AMPK activators. Now, there's a lot to choose from, and so in the palette, we wanted to get about five of them together, and we wanted to make sure there was a balanced liver profile as well as some of the ones that act on as uh, mast cell stimulators. I'm sorry, mast cell stabilizers and, uh, and the best AMPK activators. So there's in the liver aspect, there's berberine. Now, berberine is known mm -hmm. as nature's metformin for its effect on blood mm -hmm. sugar. And what's the target of metformin? 
AMPK. So bear brain is a big AMPK target, but it's also a strong bitter that stimulates bile flow. Mm -hmm. That's the yellow part and the bitter taste. Then we have silymarin in there. Silymarin is an excellent liver herb, and it also works uh, on liver kinase B1, which is one of the activators of AMPK, and it stabilizes transporters in, uh, in, the, in the bile flow. And then we have methane in there. methane is an immune stabilizer on one side. It's an NRF2 upregulator and NRF2 rescuer, mm. uh, meaning certain things like mold toxins block NRF2 upregulation and mm. DIMS able to restore its function. So those three are working distinctly on a liver level. And then on immune sta- stabilization level, Quercetin is a strong uh, is a strong mast cell stabilizer. DIM is also an immune stabilizer, promotes T regulatory balance. And then you have resveratrol as a classic AMPK activator mm. and a sirtuin activator. Mm. So when we get that whole fasted state, yeah, we get AMPK activation, we tighten up all of our membranes, we we go into autophagy, but we build NAD plus the NADH ratios back up, which help activate sirtuins. Plus, we have other stuff directly activating sirtuins. Sirtuins and mm-hmm. NAD have this positive feedback cycle where they feed each other together. Mm-hmm. And then other guys that fit into the NAD balance, Quercetin is shown to spare NAD use, so it builds up NAD plus. And uh, Silamarin builds up NAD plus mm-hmm. in the liver, and partly through its interaction with sirtuins, partly directly. And then, uh, again, resveratrol right on those sirtuins. So all these things uh, are working. Some are actually ATP synthase temporary jammers, berberine and quercetin, to turn up AMP to hit that part of the AMP kinase. It's an allosteric, a shape-based modulation. And then a bunch of them come in on that high-energy phosphorylation and turn it all up. All of those together in this net, only like you can take it capsules all day, go get a capsule of all those, take them all day long. Mm-hmm. You're never going to flip yourself into ketosis in an hour and a half. The key to this is lipid nanoparticle delivery. This product, all those nutraceuticals are in this little oil droplet stabilized by phosphatidylcholine that's 25 nanometers and it absorbs so rapidly and the blood between 15 and 25 minutes all of that dose in that half hour period maxed into the blood versus the capsules don't like some of these things peak in like eight hours so you focus all that into one area and here's like the second big aspect of that is they come in unmetabolized when you gut as you're absorbing through the lumen you're going through phase one and phase two reactions. So resveratrol is almost never absorbed. It's resveratrol glucuronide. Mm-hmm. When you get into curcumin, it's not straight curcumin. It's the glucuronide. Mm-hmm. And it's the raw unmetabolized one that is the strongest trigger for all these. So focusing down unmetabolized uh, nutraceuticals into the short absorption period, bang. Mm. And all these people without fail make ketones in an hour and a half. As long as they wake up and take it, haven't had any carbs in the morning, doesn't matter what they ate the night before. Mm. And so it just, boom, opens up the liver, turns up all that metabolism. And so much of that is 
liver-based. In fact, liver kinase B1 is a crucial factor in the whole thing. And of course, we know all the ketones are made in the liver. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's so true. And uh, the, the, those ingredients that you mentioned, uh, I, I, I see like great value in them. And I think that uh, they're very effective and especially for promoting things like AMPK as well as uh, autophagy and ketosis as well. So, uh, you know, taking those things it's, it's, it can be somewhat problematic in terms of like the actual bioavailability and absorption rate. So that's why the liposomal delivery system is definitely like a, you know, <laughs> the thing that actually works because it, yeah. will, it, it will stimulate the body or it's, the body will rea react uh, correspondingly to those things. Yeah, it to, reacts, like, it's, it's dose dependent. It's dose in the blood mm. is AMPK. You get that high dose in the blood and bam, you activate it super fast and all that stuff comes along with it. And then the flip side of some of those things, uh, like the autophagy is you also upregulate PGC1A. So mm -hmm. you're breaking down old mitochondria, PGC1A is, is activating biogenesis and generation of new mitochondria. Adipose, uh, PPAR alpha brings all the lipolysis with it, like uh, adipose triglyceride lipase, which is mobilizing all your fats. So when you're using this, if you're trying to lose mat, mass, use it and don't eat any fat. In fact, just fast. Mm -hmm. And if you're trying to just have clean chemistry and energy, then you can take in fat during the day. Right. Protein, you might still have the fat burning, but you're likely not to get the mTOR blocking as much and the autophagy because insulin is the primary driver of mTOR forward. But branched-chain amino acids do that too, plus yeah. gluconeogenesis. You, you generate a lot of sugar from the protein when you're, when you're carb-starving. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple different ways to use this uh, during the day. Uh, again, the less fat and the less protein you take, the more you're going to digest your own mass. Mm. Yeah, so like for those, you know, the detox systems to, let's say, have a positive effect on the actual detox, then you would want to maintain a, like a lower state of energy and not consume a bunch of extra energy because that will just enable the body to tap into its own uh, body fat stores as well as uh, you know, stimulate these pathways uh, much more profoundly. Yeah, if you're trying to mobilize uh, toxins out of the fat, then yeah, uh, mm -hmm. then don't take in energy. If you're trying to clear the blood levels, then you can take in the energy and you might start that way and get your blood levels down. And then after you've done that for a couple of weeks, go to complete fasting during the day, taking no energy in at all, and then mobilize everything out of the fat. That sort of sequential thing would be a good thing if you hadn't gone through a real sophisticated detox protocol. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, and I would imagine like even if you if you are taking it in a fasted state and you're not eating anything then you would still have like higher levels of energy because you're uh, mobilizing or like you're starting to utilize the ketones much better and uh, you'll the liver will actually start <laughs> producing them uh, much more easily yeah in fact what you'll see in the beginning people will 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 do this uh this this approach with the keto before six and they'll make high levels of ketones 
in the first week and in the second week, the levels are lower. And, you know, people with their levels are all like, oh, my levels are lower. That's actually a sign you're fat adapted. You've upregulated all of the the transporters. Ironically, they're called MCT transporters. You know these. And, and people think they're, they transport you know, medium-chain triglycerides, but they're monocarboxylate transporters. That brings the ketones into the cell. And then there's a series of enzymes that are taking it in, in and out of uh, acetoacetate and beta-hydroxybutyrate. So the end of it is you get much more efficient at mobilizing fat, making ketones, and using ketones. And so your blood ketone levels actually go down a little bit and aren't riding so high. But your energy is fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's so clear all day. That's how I ride uh, while I work is I just ride on fat all day, and then I go home and eat a horse at night. <laughs> uh, it's yeah, it's a quite, quite funny. Uh, that how the body can uh, really start to heal itself if you give it the right you know conditions and allow yeah. it to like break the cycle so to say because like like we mentioned earlier like most people are just stuck in this chronic inflammation and stress and they really can't get out of it unless they do something that's very kind of profound or something like really drastic that completely changes the environment inside the inside the body and its uh, nutrients like stop eating (laughs) (laughs) amazing you remember i remember when i was an organic uh farmer you'd read these books you know uh natural health was very much you know twigs and bark out there in the naturopathy world it hadn't joined like functional medicine and biohacking it's not like this is now and so it was this extreme naturopathy stuff and there was all these fasting cures for freaking anything and you'd (laughs) you'd it would just be water fast or just one thing or carrot juice fast and now we finally understand why and once you know mechanism and that's our role is to bring clarity to mechanism so we can use tools more accurately predict pitfalls and iterate through our therapies so they get more and more profound to the point at which we don't need pharmaceutical people anymore yeah yeah it's so true and i'm 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 a huge fan of this new science and understanding these pathways because we can now almost like mimic those same, you know, physiological conditions that you would experience during a long fast without having yeah. to actually fast for that long, so to say. Yeah. You, can, you can fast faster, if that makes sense. Keto before six, fast faster. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I mean, it's like, I feel freaking great now. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. yeah, we're just getting better and better at all these therapies. Mm. Uh, but what do you think about these uh, longer fasts? I know like uh, Dr. Mercola has also uh, gotten into these extended fasting and he thinks that it's not actually a good idea to fast for like longer than you know, two to three days because it actually mobilizes those uh, same, same toxins. So uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, well, you know, Mercola goes and, and you know, does it first for us. And so, you know, a couple of years ago, he was ringing me up and like, Chris, you got to listen to this MP. It wasn't MP. He didn't know it was, that. It was like mTOR blocking. Everything was mTOR blocking to him. Mm. So you got to get fat adapted. You can't have any, you know, tiny bit of protein. You got to mTOR block, mTOR block, mTOR block. And he did that for like a year and a half. And you saw him just waste away to nothing. He was gray and like gaunt. And I'm like, Joe, oh my God, where'd you go? And he's like, what? I'm fine. And then, uh, and then he wrote his, his first book, Fat for Fuel, and that, that's a profound book. And then you see him a couple of months ago, and he looks great again, and he's like, that was too much. <laughs> you can't do that all the time. You can't mTOR yeah. block all the time. And yeah. then when I came out with this product, he's like, no, no, no. And I'm like, dude, 
it's before six at night, you know, rebuild. And so yeah, yeah. like anything, it's the pendulum. Mm -hmm. The more profound of a pathology you have, that's more related to mass overaccumulation, uh, atherosclerosis, cancer, uh, metabolic disease, the longer you want to fast, fast. The more you're trying to just tighten your biochemistry and live longer and be stronger, the shorter the periods of fasting and then go back and forth. Then you look at like, we're biohackers. We like doing this and like, and trying to get that pendulum right and do it at a high velocity. Whereas like well, Walter Longo, that's, he's really a naturopath, you know, that mm. any, any, he, he promotes, you know, old Italian starvation through poverty <laughs> You know, these people lived a long time where I came from because they were poor and they could eat like five strands of spaghetti and a bunch of peas and, and some dandelions, you know, right. and they lived a long time. And, uh, but, you know, he did see, uh, after you get to a certain age, you got to pump protein and carbs mm -hmm. into them to, to drive mTOR forward or they'll waste away. And so uh, we're learning how to use these triggers when it's appropriate to use which at which time. So. Right now, the best we can say is the more goop you got to get rid of, the longer you should fast. And that's, mm. that's pretty simple. Yeah, yeah, it's so, so true. And uh, like fortunately, yeah, like Mercola has also recently uh, done a lot of, uh, you know, new content about how do we actually balance those things like mTOR and, and autophagy. So yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's never a good idea to uh, overstimulate either. Like you don't want to be too anabolic and you don't want to be too catabolic. You don't want to right. be fasting too long. You don't want to be overfeeding yourself too long and it's always like a matter of balance and what's the right amount for you depends on your particular situation and exactly. uh, how off the rails you are yeah exactly and which way you're off the rails and yeah. so that's when i do my slide fasting versus fed these are the opposite reactions i put a big dow symbol in the middle yeah. you know it's balance yeah. of those back and forth and back and forth and you know the more you got to lose the more you got to go into catabolic and uh on the other hand we have this woman here who did some of that to clean up the chemistry but she's already thin as a rail and then we had to give her more mTOR drivers and so the next thing we're going to do is have the right mTOR drivers so we can clear and then drive clean mass then clear then drive back clean mass now you're freaking 23 you don't need that yet or you're, you're some ungodly young age right yeah How old are you? 24 24 like that's ungodly young i'm 50 and so i gotta clear and then drive back some muscle mass clear drive back some muscle mass and we've been using hmb mm. uh which is a metabolite of leucine and uh 20 three grams of that's equal to 20 grams of leucine it's a real mTOR forward type of thing and we've been mm. playing around with how to go back and forth with that and on the skinny as a rail woman uh the the keto detox was good for her, but she loves that mTOR forward thing that keeps mm -hmm. the mass on her mm -hmm. yeah so true and leucine is like a one of the prime uh, drivers of mTOR and uh, yeah that's yeah. why like that's why i think low protein does necessarily aren't actually that beneficial for longevity because you no. just you're ending up with losing some of the muscle mass that you're built up and uh, longo i think he said up to 65 the low protein's mm. good over 65 you got to jack the protein in because you got to drive him well you know it's it's because like he, he although he's like a, one of the leading researchers in intermittent fasting he doesn't really you know Im implement it that on a daily basis that much so to no. say if you're eating like for the, for the average person if they are eating let's say three to four to five times a day, then yeah, they're already staying in the fed state for too long. And in that yeah. case, excess protein for them isn't beneficial. What they actually should do is to 
start to fast for longer on a daily basis and yeah. incorporate a daily time she's eating so that yeah. they won't, you know, go into the catabolic side and then they don't have to be worried about the protein. Exactly. And you see the people he interviews up in the, you know, up in the countryside in Italy, they're like thin as a rail little people. And they're like, I've never had fun in my life. That's how I live so long. <laughs> never drink, never smoke. And I never have sex. And it's like, right. That's not how I want to live. <laughs> <laughs> we'll hack our way through. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's good. But uh, what, what kind of uh, other uh, products you have at your quick, quick silver scientific uh, brand? Yeah, so uh, I've been working on detox stuff for since 2009. I, I did all these mercury detox things, and I, I focused it down to this universalist thing called push-catch liver detox, and that's the core. It gets all these cellular levels harmonized with the bioflow and a binder. And then you tack onto that things that you want to do to focus it. So if you're out after metals, you take the liposomal glutathione. Glutathione can't be taken in capsules. You need a way to cheat the absorption. And a nanoliposome, these are liposomes under 100 nanometers, is the only way to do that. And just because something says it's liposomal doesn't mean it works. All the data that we've generated, they have to be in this under 100 nanometer uh, size, and they have to have the right membrane characteristics. So we'd add on glutathione for, uh, for mercury. If we have lead, we add on a liposomal EDTA viral stuff we have a cat's claw we have some parasite some parasitic things if uh artemisinin for gi parasites so you're going to find the stuff that needs to go along with that uh the keto before six acts like the you can bind you can you can pair that with our ultra binder and have a good detox system right that like mm -hmm. that or do it on top of this push catch liver detox the liver sauce that's in the two-part push catch liver detox put the <laughs> liver sauce on the liver yeah. uh, has all these bioflow stimulators and pk activators nrf2 activators and then it has the binder system with it so you, you can blend those any any way that you want and then of course uh cbd we have a range of we have a thc free and a full-spectrum uh, CBD in this nanoparticle delivery. Again, all these nanoparticles, you have this instant absorption. You have five to six, for CBD, it's five to six-fold increased absorption over a regular CBD. And the crucial thing in detox is CBD is the best thing for restoring that balance between sympathetic and parasympathetic. It stabilizes activated microglia and stabilizes the overactive uh, glutamate receptors that brings you into that balance. So when we're doing detox on uh, autistic kids, that's a prerequisite. They all got to have the hemp and then they can have the push catch detox on, on top of that. And then we'll go after uh, antimicrobials and support like that. Uh, all that you'll find on our website, quicksilverscientific.com. You'll find a lot of YouTube links there. And then uh, Quicksilver Scientific has its own YouTube channel mm -hmm. where I've got, I don't know, 20 or 30 different webinars on different aspects of this, uh, as well as a bunch of little videos for each one of the products. So you'll find a lot on the website and uh, and on the page uh, and on the YouTube channel. And uh, again, that push catch liver detox is for anybody. And if you're doing metabolic stuff, go with that keto before six. And I got to tell you, I use this almost anytime I eat anyways because of this bitter action yeah. for digestion yeah. and because it's turning 
up that efficiency of burning. I'm very good at storing energy, and so I have to turn up the burning and, and right. keep that nice and clean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so true. Like uh, the bitters are, are almost like even even for people who are have like a good gut health and they have, their digestion is working properly. I, every every person I've talked to who has taken like these bitters or something like something like that, then they always notice like some some form of difference because they are like really stimulating and you do feel like a huge difference. Yeah, you do, and uh, the gut health is. It, one thing that we miss about BioFly, I mentioned it before, but I'll say it again. So I said, yeah, it takes the toxins out, but uh, bile is an antimicrobial. So when it comes down to the upper GI, it's washing away excess bacteria in the upper GI. Mm-hmm. Upper GI is not supposed to have a lot of bacteria. It's lower GI is the fermenter. That's where all the bacteria should be. Upper GI shouldn't have bacteria or fungus, and bile washes that away. And bile also brings glutathione to the upper GI because upper GI is not a fermenter. It's a chemical reactor. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of glutathione as transferase in the upper GI and a lot of other glutathione enzymes that use glutathione up there. It's the only place where you're bringing glutathione and depositing it somewhere. So bile is essential to upper GI health as well as flushing everything out of the liver. And it is part of good glutathione turnover what we call canalicular trafficking is part of the AMPK cycle and activation of AMPK. Mm. So uh, bitters always help. And that's our bitters product is called Bitter X. One of them is Bitter X and one of them is Bitters number nine. And both the Keto Before Six and either of the bitters products are great in cocktails too. I mean, mm-hmm. you put that in vodka and that's like having Suze is a, is a European uh, aperitif, which is gentian and, uh, and vodka basically. <laughs> uh, you know, it goes good. Ben Greenfield figured out the gin bitter X. That's a fantastic one. Uh, and I started doing the, the Keto Before Six and, in uh in all the drinks as well so you can you can turn your your drinks into nutraceutical drinks <laughs> yeah and that's that's biohacking <laughs> that's yeah. it right well it's been great talking with you chris and uh, my last question is uh, uh what's this one piece of advice or habit you wish you adopted sooner that improved your body and your mind mindfulness around all the different ways at which we contract around our situation and keep ourselves from expanding into the world. The more you look at it, the more different ways that you find you're holding in at the gut, you're holding in, maybe you cross your legs all the time, you're stopping your grounding into the ground, you're thinking too much and stopping your grounding into the universal mind, you're you're holding back, you're, you're trying to control and holding back the flow through your adrenals. You're contracting away from the world and holding back your digestion of the events mm. of the world. And it's only when, because what that does is creates little dysfunctions and then we try to biohack around them. Mm-hmm. The ultimate biohack is the freedom of mind. And that I was forced, the more I worked, the more I was forced to really look at all the different things I'm holding myself away from. And the more I open all that up, the more minimalist my supplementation regime can Mm. be and the more overall vibrancy and health that I have.
Mm, yeah, and it, it almost goes back to the psychosomatic relationship between your body and uh, your psychology. Like, if you hold yes. yourself, you know, clenched in, then that's going to reinforce these negative thoughts. And that in turn makes you more clenched in and more stressed out and more inflamed, etc. Absolutely. And we go back to what is sympathetic. It's a, you know, clenched in is sympathetic. Even if we have micro sympathetic, I'm contracted here, but loose here. That holds things in. That keeps you from repairing and detoxifying in yeah. that space. Yeah. So that's a good, very good advice. And uh, hopefully people learn more about uh, the things that you talked about. And I will leave on the links uh, to your products as well as your YouTube channel in the show notes. So yeah, thanks, Chris, for coming to the show. And uh, I'll probably see you in a few months in uh, London as well. Yeah, I'll see you there. Help Health Optimization Summit. Get everybody to come out to that mm -hmm. one. Uh, it's a pleasure talking to you. We'll have to do this again. Yeah, we'll see you. I'll see you around. All right, that's it for this episode. I hope you got some valuable information from it. And if you want to check out Chris's awesome products from Quicksilver Scientific, then check out the link in the description and the show notes of this podcast. You can get a 10% discount on your first purchase, and I've tried them myself. So head over to the show notes and check out the link for your 10% discount. But other than that, thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you leave us a review on iTunes and all the social media platforms as well. You can tag me while you're listening to this podcast on Instagram, at Seamlund. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.